You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 195, Katie Horner and Rain as a Blessing. Get your umbrella, friends. Welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I, of course, am your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for being here. I am so glad that you have downloaded. I cannot wait to share this story with you. Um, Friends, I want to let you know, if you haven't gone out um, to halfwaytherepodcast.com. There's a couple things there. Number one, you can actually uh, just click a little Patreon link and you can become a patron uh, or you can just go to patreon.com slash halfway there. I started doing a new thing. We're going to do early access for anybody who jumps on board. So if you like uh, shows, you're going to be able to get them five days in advance. You can get them the previous week. Uh, just listen to them right there on Patreon as well. So I want to let you know, guys know about that. Uh, we have a great story today. This is somebody who really inspired me um, at a in recent uh, event that I was at, and I think uh, she's going to inspire you guys as well. She's a business or she's a business coach, a best-selling author, an international speaker. So that's cool. She's created uh, lots of online courses. She's self-published a bunch of books, including the one that's sitting on my desk right here, Faith Like Flamingos. And uh, she's doing some really amazing work. She's got a great story. Uh, Our guest is Katie Horner. Katie, welcome to Halfway There. Thank you so much, Eric. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you. Um, We got to have lunch when we were at Spark in Houston a, a few weeks ago now, maybe a month ago now. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And you, uh, you definitely put your business coach hat on. You were giving me some advice. <laughs> well, as the Lord gives opportunity, you know. <laughs> there you go. That's the way to do it. I love that. So tell us a little bit about who you are and where you are right now. And then we'll go back and talk about how God brought you there. Sure. So uh, my name is Katie Horner, and I am the owner of handprintlegacy.com along with my husband, Tap. We have uh, been in Mexico now for the last 13 years, and the two sides of our business are are bilingual. The Spanish side of our business is the only literature-based homeschool curriculum available in the Spanish world right now, and we're one of the first people to take online training for Spanish-speaking homeschool parents um, to the world. And then our English business is a business coaching business, and we work right now primarily with women. We're looking at opening that up possibly this year um, to include men as well in, in the marketing and the getting your message out to the world because in both of these, it's the legacy that we're looking at in, in encouraging and empowering people to do what God has created you to do and to give the message he's created you to give. And whether that's with your children who will be the next world leaders or whether that's with your personal message and passing that off to the next generation, that's what we're here to help with. Oh, yeah. I love that. Okay. Well, let's talk about how you got there. So where are you? Where where are you from? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in the mountains of Western North Carolina. Oh, nice. I joke that we live two hours from a mall in any direction. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, as a teenager, that got me some pity. I'm not sure it works now. um, (laughs) We were, you know, my dad was in business for himself and we lived right next door to my grandparents that were a huge influence in my life. We attended a small 
independent Baptist church in the mountains. And that's where I first learned about Jesus and learned about what he was doing around the world. And that's what gave me my heart for, for overseas work. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so how did your faith become your own? Did was your family, did you always, it sounds like you always went to church. Did you, do you ever know a time without Jesus or like, how did he become yours? My, from my dad's side, we were blessed that to have many generations of Christians in the family, but I, I do not believe you're born a Christian. I believe it's something each of us takes on personally at some point in our lives. And so while I had a, a strong Christian influence in the family, um, there was a day when I was seven years old that I had to make that decision for myself. And um, it happened after after church service with a particularly um, moving message about what what life could be like based on your choice to choose Jesus or not, um, and and what life after death could be like in that case. And I knew at that point that I, I needed Jesus. I needed to ask him to forgive me for my sins and to make me his own. And uh, I did that beside my parents' bed after church that night. And just, um, I, I went through a time in, in my teenage years where I doubted my yeah. salvation. And I was, I was brought back to the verse in John 10 where Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and no one can take them from my hands. My father who's greater than all um, no one, no one can take them from my father's hands. And the, the imagery that that verse brought to me in that moment was, um, you know, my dad worked in construction. And so when he would get home at night, usually around five, five fifteen, and dinner was usually always at five thirty. uh, he, he was very often, um, he didn't have enough time to shower before dinner, but also not clean enough to sit maybe on the furniture in the living room. And so I remember many times he would come in and, and sort of just lay on the floor to, to be with us, but to, you know, he didn't want to mess up the furniture before dinner. And so uh, when he would do that, the change would fall out of his pocket. I mean, back then we still carried cash and coins, yeah, right? right. So uh, as a child, I remember when he would do that, we would rush over and try and collect those coins that had fallen. And, and him being faster than us and stronger than us, more often he would scoop them up first. And I remember him saying to me on many occasions, Katie, if you can open my hand, you can have money. And of course, you know, a three-year-old, a five-year-old, I was, I was not as strong <laughs> as my dad. And, and there's no way I could open that unless he wanted to open it and gift it to me. And so when I, when I was faced with that truth of the scripture as a doubting teenager, that you are in Jesus's hands and God, the father's hands are even around that. And no one can take you out of his hands. It, it brought back to me that imagery of trying to get that money out of my dad's hands and knowing that he was so strong that nothing could take that out unless he wanted to give it. Yeah. What was, the, what was the doubt about? I'm not really sure where the doubts came from. Um, I, I do remember it was a very dry period in my life. I was really seeking um, what the Lord wanted me to do and feeling like I wasn't, I wasn't getting, I didn't feel like I was getting the way I needed to be in that particular time, um, early college years. And um, I think it was just, you know, what is this, is this for real, <laughs> you know? And, and, and what that scripture and that imagery brought back to me was that once you're saved, you're always saved. Once yeah. you've done this, you're in my hand and nothing's going to take you out. And there will be dry times in our life. Um, 
And, and he's walked me through lots of dry times since then, but I don't ever have to doubt that I'm not his or that I'm not in his hands. Yeah, absolutely. I think in a lot of ways, it sounds like it was, it's a normal thing as a teenager to kind of ask some questions and wrestle with what's happening, you know, or what, what you believe and kind of sorting that out. sounds like maybe that was part of how you sorted out who God is. Right. And I think it, different times in my life, I've gone through some of that where I, I don't think I ever doubted in the same way as, as that particular instance, but trying to figure out like, do I believe this because I've been told I should believe this or do I believe this because I know God said it Yeah, and it's true. And, and that's, that's so important. And that's where I think that the, the Christian upbringing and Christian atmosphere that I grew up in, I was given a lot of truth early on. And, and that became something that I could go back then. And at least I knew where to go to find it and study it out for myself. Um, whereas I, sometimes I feel like the, the youth of today don't always get that. Yeah, definitely. That's a, that's a tough thing, but it's so important to have that, um, foundation in scripture. I totally agree. Well, so what did you want to be when you grew up? As a child, I think I wanted to be a teacher and uh, I wanted to be a writer. I, I wrote, at my, I had a second grade assignment where we had to create a poetry anthology, a collection of poems. And I just fell in love with poetry <laughs> and words. My grandpa was a real wordsmith and he was always making up songs and poems off the top of his head. Um, I wanted, I wanted to be a writer and I wanted to, to have my name in print at some point. I mean, I wrote letters to the president and I had pen pals all over and I wrote <laughs> books and poems. And, um, but I also had, I had the ability and the love for teaching. And so that, I don't know, I don't know that I ever translated into, well, I really want to be a teacher, but I do know that when I was in ninth grade, um, I had to really be able to surrender myself to whatever God wanted me to do in the future. Uh, a lot of people talk about this as like a calling or um, a, a submission of some sort. And, and people usually describe it in terms of like, you know, God, I'd be willing to do, to go overseas and be a missionary, or I'd be willing to serve you in full-time ministry. I'd be, you know, something like that. For me, by ninth grade, I already had a heart to be overseas. And I had to get to the point where I was willing to stay in the States if he wanted me to stay. That's interesting. I, what what was the heart of, for overseas? Where where did that come from? Well, when I was growing up, we in that small Baptist church, uh, we had missionaries that our church supported yeah. that that were in different countries around the world, and so we would send money, and then we would they would read their letters when we got letters back from them, and when the missionaries were in the states, many times would pass through and give some sort of an update or presentation at church. And my dad's best friend from high school had gone to be a missionary in Ecuador and served there with the HCJB World Radio for many years. And um, so my dad had a heart for missions and, and he had grown up on a farm in upstate New York. And in the summertime on the farm, his parents had hosted missionary kids during the summer. And so he just had this heart for missions. And so what happened was many times he would invite these missionaries to our home and, and the children, myself and my, my brother and sister, we were included in the conversation. We were allowed to to sit there in, at the dinner table and, and hear the stories and ask questions. And um, some of my first memories were bedtime prayers where we prayed for specific missionary families every single night. And um, that really put in me uh, a desire to serve the Lord on, on another field somewhere. I didn't know where, but I knew I wanted to go. 
Wow. Okay. So I can already hear as a as a child things that you're you're doing today, writing and working overseas. Correct. <laughs> okay. This is who you wanted to be. Where'd that take you? Did you end up going to college to, to study English or something? I uh, started studying Spanish in ninth grade, um, the same year that I sort of had that surrender, whatever you want to call it, to be able to stay in the States if that was really what he wanted. But I, I said, Lord, I'm going to going to make it my goal from here on out to end up overseas unless you just make it so clear and slam every door in my face that you do not want me there. And so I just was basically, I'm going on the assumption that you do want me there unless you change this desire or make it obvious that's not what's supposed to happen. And so when I finished high school and went to college, I wanted to, I, I decided to study education because again, I enjoyed teaching. And I uh, also knew that at that point in, in time, um, you could enter some countries under a teaching visa that were closed to missionaries or minister ministry visas. And so I said, well, I don't know where God's taking me. Um, let's just go where there's, let's, let's do the thing that has the most opportunity, right? And let him lead through that. But I'd also been studying Spanish all through high school. And I figured, well, if I'm going to end up somewhere and going to have to learn a language, it, even if it's not Spanish, Let's go with what I've got because it's got to be easier to learn a third language if I've already learned a second. And so I basically um, signed up for an elementary education major at Bob Jones University in South Carolina. And I, I signed up for a double minor in music and Spanish because I'd never had the opportunity to study music before. In the mountains, there just weren't teachers, good teachers around. Um, most people played instruments by ear, which is amazing, but I, I just never learned and I always wanted to learn. And so... My senior year of high school, I was finally able to take flute lessons and loved it. And so I decided I'm going to do a, a Spanish minor and a music minor. Um, and that way I've got language started and I've got an instrument that I can take and use wherever the Lord sends me. Smaller than a guitar even, right? So I get to college and I sign up for these classes and I have to go to my advisor to get them approved. And she says, you can't have a double minor with an education major. That's impossible. And I said, yes, I can, I, that I'm going to do it. And, and we <laughs> argued back and forth. And um, she let me keep it in there for the first semester. Second semester comes around and I go back and telling her what classes I want to take. And she's like, you can't keep going. You got to choose one minor. I was like, no, I can't. I'm going to do music in Spanish. She let it go. And so year two, I'm back for first semester. And the same thing, you got to pick one. I was like, I can't pick one. I've got to do both. She's like, you can't. It's impossible with this education major being so heavy. Anyway, thankfully, my junior year, I got a new advisor and she was a little more easier. She was a little easier to convince. Um, but it, when it was all said and done, the Lord helped me finish an, an education major and a double minor in music and Spanish in four and a half years. And the program today is a mandatory five and a half year program with no minor. Wow. So. I don't know how God did it, but we we got through that one, and um, those that preparation has been huge in getting to where we are today. Yeah, as, as far as studying Spanish, yes, and, studying and music. Spanish. I was, you know, I was fluent before we ever came to to Mexico because I put myself, I sought out the Spanish speakers, and I I took those classes and things. And my husband learned Spanish on the streets of Mexico. And I learned Spanish in the classroom. And so that as well is a very good teamwork thing um, because whether we're interpreting or, or speaking with people in real life or we're doing 
writing or translation work or, or things with the business online things. Um, it's just a very good mix. Yeah. Okay. So you went to Bob Jones. Is that your, is that kind of your theological background? Did you jive with that or is that, uh, was that different for you or was it I'm just close? Sure, I'm not sure I, you would, I'm not sure the current standings would be the same as what I hold to. Gotcha. Um, but at, at the time that was the best, the best choice for me. Yeah. Uh, and I, I chose to attend a Spanish independent Baptist church while I was on campus and there again, practicing my Spanish and serving and getting to know the, the culture and the people. And, um, I went to, I actually had a mission board by the time I graduated, I had been approved by a mission board to go to Mexico and help a small church in the North of Mexico start a Christian school. And after I, I graduated and, and got ready to move down there, um, Mexico divide, d- denied my, my ministry visa. I couldn't just stay and, and do ministry work as a, as a tourist. I had to have a visa and they denied it. And so at that point I went, I decided to go back to Bob Jones and get a master's degree in curriculum development and educational administration. And that was the same time that I met, um, well, became better friends with my husband and ultimately married him. Uh huh. Okay. Well, there you go. See, there was a plan. Yes. <laughs> There's always a plan. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Okay. Well, that's interesting too. The, uh, the curriculum development, cause you mentioned, we mentioned earlier that you do courses. So that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Uh-huh. I feel like I'm getting some insight into who you are, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Well, uh, okay, so you, you end up meeting your, your husband. And what well, did he have a heart for going overseas too? Yes, his dad is a first-generation Christian. And um, he had been – my husband was born in South Carolina, and his parents had always said, someday we're going to be missionaries. And so – uh, it, when Tap was 15, he's the oldest of three boys. When he was 15, they moved to Mexico to be missionaries. And so he spent his last couple of years homeschooled in Mexico. And that's where he learned Spanish, playing with the neighborhood kids on the streets, you know, playing ball in the afternoons or the evenings and things. And he came back to study uh, carpentry and business at Bob Jones with the express purpose of returning to Mexico at some point to help ministry. Uh, he he d- says he never felt a calling to to be a pastor necessarily, although he he does preach. He, he learned to preach and, and he's gotten way better through the years. But, um, <laughs> Don't we all? He never felt like that was his calling. It was more of a more of a helps ministry and a support support ministry. Which um, when it came time for us to raise our own support, that kind of um, it, I'm not going to say it worked against us, but it was a specific. Uh, challenge we had to overcome. Why? Because it, because they, because people didn't want to support. The, most of the independent Baptist churches in the States are in the circles where we were trying to raise the money to come and, and do the work we wanted. We felt like God was leading us to do. Most of those churches do not look at anything as missions, unless it's church planting and evangelism specifically. Gotcha. And so our, our initial work in Mexico was to be a support role at a Bible college that was training Mexican nationals to be pastors and missionaries. And um, for, for a lot of people, it was interesting, but it didn't fall under their missions description. Yeah. Okay, so that was kind of hard. Did you have to go outside the box? We spent two years traveling around the States uh, with 
a, a, an infant oh, wow. right? trying to find churches that would take us and listen to us present our our ministry and then make a decision on whether or not they would support. And after two years, we had 50% collected or 50% promised. And um, someone, an extended family member had said, you know, this is, this is ridiculous. You guys need to get there and start working. So he agreed to make up the difference in our support for two years so that we could get down there and start working. Wow. That's pretty amazing. So what was your, what was going on with your faith all that time? Is that could be, I could see that being very hard, but were you, were you, uh, how were you experiencing it? Well, by the time we got to Mexico, um, which we, by the time this publishes, we'll have just hit our 13th anniversary of, of coming to Mexico, uh, April 2007. By the time we got there, we, we arrived in Mexico, we had a, a, a baby that was uh, just, just barely two, and I was seven months pregnant with number two. And then we had number three a year later. And my husband was uh, working in ministry six days a week, seven, uh, almost seven days a week, long hours. And I was home by myself with the kids in a, a gated neighborhood and no neighbors close that I knew. And um, after our third baby was born, I, I went through a severe postpartum depression. And I didn't know it because I'd never been around anyone before who'd been depressed and didn't know the signs myself. And there was no one close enough to, to realize the signs in our limited inter- interactions. You know, people saw me on Sundays or family would call on a phone call every now and then. Um, but I, I, I knew something was wrong. And I, I wondered if I was, I wondered if I was going crazy. I, it got to a point where I didn't even trust myself and my kids. And um, eventually we were able to get to a, get a doctor's appointment and take some tests and the numbers came back and I'll never forget we walked into the clinic to get to get these results and you know finally find out what's going on and they said I'm so sorry we need to redo this test we think someone made an error Um, the numbers were like 600 times what they should be something crazy and so oh wow uh, we're going to take the test it'll be another three days you know more blood (laughs) Um, and and we'll have to do another test. And we went back for the test again in three days. And they said, you need to get help now. It was not an error. Both of the test results were exactly the same. Um, that you need, you need help. And so we were able to get into uh, an endocrinologist and a, a female doctor there in, in Sonora where we were and, and get some help and ultimately turn that around. But through all of that, you know, my faith was clinging to anything I could cling to just to get me through. Um, and then in, in his mercy, uh, coming out of that, the Lord allowed us to uh, host a young teenager who had been literally kicked out of her home because she named the name of Christ and wanted to go finish. She, she had not had a, a regular education. Her home life had been terrible. Um, and she had become a believer and was ultimately homeless. And she was trying to finish her last year of high school um, through a, a kind of a distance study or a GED type program that Mexico offers so that she could get into the Bible college, but she couldn't live on campus until she'd actually been accepted as a student kind of thing. And so anyway, we ended up hosting her and that was one of the best things that happened to us during that period because it gave me someone to pour into instead of just being home with three kids under three by myself every day. I now had someone who was a semi-adult to talk to. Yeah. 
um, and to mentor. I wasn't just thinking about myself anymore. I had someone there who needed me to to mentor her and to pour into her. And we did we did a Bible study together, the lies women believe and the truth that sets them free. And it was just as powerful for her as it was for me. Um, and I, I taught her how to do some cooking and how to take care of the house and how to take care of babies, you know, and it was just, a, it was a wonderful, almost a year that she lived with us and just a huge blessing to, to both of our lives. Yeah. I love that. That's very interesting. Cause a lot of times, um, you know, if you, when you have someone like that, it sounds like you were able to just stop thinking about kind of your own situation, but start thinking about somebody else. And then it that really just sort helped, of, I think, to pull me out. Yeah, lifts your spirits a little bit in a strange way. Mm-hmm. Maybe not strange. Strange might not be the word, but you know what I mean. Mysterious. It's like it's it's interesting when we turn our eyes on someone else. It it changes how we feel. Right. Yeah. Right. Interesting. But that's true in business too. You know, business is not about me. If you're going to succeed in business. You've got to turn your eyes outward and say, Who am I helping? Who am I here to help? What do they need? How can I make a difference for them? And I think that's where the growth happens, whether it's in your personal life or your business life. Yeah, absolutely. I've started saying that, um, particularly to podcasters, I help podcasters, but I like to say to them, hey, you you know, just get started because it's as much about personal development as it is about you know developing an audience. Um, but part of that personal development is learning how to serve your audience, right? Yes. Yeah, Absolutely. Wow. That's cool. Okay. Well, so that sounds like a, like a a pretty difficult time. Um, and it sounds like, you know, you got, you, you handled that in in some cool ways. You, you did some, um, Bible study was, was it, uh, how was, how are you feeling about God? Was it just that he was absent or what, what, you know, how did that, and how that study kind of help you understand that he was there? I don't know that I ever doubted in that time that he was there, um, but I really, I really struggled to understand what my what my role was or what my response was. Mm. And I think when that young lady came to live with us, you know, then I had then I had a purpose. I, ha- I mean, obviously my my own babies, but but I couldn't at that time they were too young to really instruct or have a conversation with, right? Yeah. Um, and so that. I think that that gave me a purpose and helped me see some of a glimpse of what God might be doing. And that, that helped to give hope. Um, but also coming, coming out of that, we were, we were at the Bible college about three years when we started to wonder based on some of the things that we were seeing and some of the reactions and responses we were getting, if this was going to be our long term, like did God bring us here to, to be here forever as we originally thought, or, or was this just the first stepping stone and there's something else? And um, being the new kids in a, in a ministry, when you start asking questions, uh, sometimes <laughs> it's interpreted the wrong way. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not saying we, we did everything right. There's, there's obviously two sides to every story. But um, when we began asking questions about why things were done certain ways or, or what could we do to make things better or, um, it, w- it was not well received. And then when we started looking at, you know, asking ourselves is, is this our long-term place or is this something that, you know, was just a stepping stone. And about that time, we also received an invitation from a, a long, you know, 40 year old, 40 year veteran missionary in, in Mexico on the other side of Mexico, who was uh, 
her husband had died. They planted several churches together there in Mexico. And uh, they'd also started a children's home. And this ministry now, you know, he had passed on and she was getting up in years and looking for someone to come and, and take over that ministry. And I had had history with her because that was one of the missionaries our church had supported growing up. And I'd been to the children's home on mission trips. And so we had a little bit of history there. And she knew that we were already in Mexico and we already spoke Spanish and, and she invited us to come. And so in the midst of some turmoil at, at the Bible college, we decided um, that we needed to go and check this out. And then, of course, there was some more things that, that happened because now um, now it, it looks like rebellion or, or they're painting it as, as rebellion. And we were really just trying to follow the Lord um, and, and really seeking the Lord about what our next steps were. And um, we ended up deciding to, to move over there. And then, you know, from one day to the next, uh, the, the Bible college ministry cut us off. Um, we were, we were slandered and we were cut off from all the people that we'd served and cut off from friendships. And they, um, wrote letters to the people who had supported us and explained it from their end, but we never really got a chance to explain it. And, um, we lost a lot of emotional support and a lot of financial support in that decision. And, and we actually were given an ultimatum to be out of the city by a certain date. Wow. And, uh, just no more contact with anyone. I mean, our kids lost friends overnight and we lost friends overnight and, and just, God, what are you doing here? And yet knowing that he was leading us to that next step. And, um, how, how did that feel? Cause it feels awful. Yeah. (laughs) It feels, yeah. I, I wouldn't wish that feeling or that happening on anybody. Um, and yet, I am not ungrateful for the experience because I know that that's, that was part of what God walked us through to make us who we are today and to give us the heart and the ministry that we currently have. Okay. So then how did that, how did it inform what you do now? So, um, it, I'd like to come back to that because there's, there's, okay. As we transition to the other ministry, there's there's more to the story. Yeah, fill us in. Following following the Lord through that, one of the things um, our our fourth son uh, or our fourth child is is a son, and and we call him Josiah. Um, Josiah means our God heals, and Josiah was conceived before we left Hermosillo, um, and it was it was during a time when we were we were questioning, we were getting we were getting all kinds of opposition and trying to follow the Lord and um, getting all this conflicting information and things and just, God, what it, we, we think this is what we, you are asking us to do, but it is so hard. We've got to know that you're in this, you know, kind of the idea of putting out a fleece. Can you just give us some kind of a sign <laughs> that this is, that we're doing what you want us to do? Cause we don't want to be in disobedience. Um, and that was when we found out that we were expecting Josiah and we took that as his confirmation. It was what we needed in the moment. And um, Josiah in the Bible, if you look it up, was was the boy king who stood up against everyone who told him he was wrong and followed the Lord. And um, Josiah's name means our God heals. And so we knew that as hard as this was, probably the hardest thing we'd ever gone through, that God was ultimately going to bring healing. And so we, we gave stuff away. We lo- um, loaded what we could into our, 
our van and drove back across the border and started back over to North Carolina where my parents lived at the time um, to kind of regroup for a few months and try to make amends with our supporters or, or get some more financial support before we went back down to this new minister orphanage ministry on the other side of Mexico. And so in November of 2010, we arrived at the orphanage and we came with 15 suitcases, three children and eight months pregnant, oh, wow. seven months pregnant again um, with Josiah. Wow. And um, everything else had been given away. I mean, we saved some scrapbooks and photo albums and things, but we sold wedding furniture that had been gifted to us and we sold um, pretty much everything we owned for a second time in order to, to come down here. And so we're at working at the children's home and um, really just embracing that. And again, thinking this is where we're gonna be forever. And nine months into that, the, uh, the missionary lady who had asked us to come, comes to us and she says, this is not working. You guys have gotta go. And we're like, what? Oh, wow. And, and she basically, I mean, we, we had said some things, but we couldn't put our finger on it. And we just, to, to this day, we praise the Lord for his protection. Like there was no, there was no slander. There was no false accusations. It wasn't, the Lord protected us from anything that could have happened in, in that kind of a situation to further slander our testimony at least. But, um, she just basically, she had hoped she had brought us on knowing that her national staff was against her decision to bring us on as the future leaders and just hoped that everyone would sort of fall in love and live happily ever after. And it didn't happen. And so now she's getting pressure from her, from her team to, to get rid of us. Cause they, they ultimately want to be the leaders. And I, I mean, I can understand that. Um, if, if they've been, they've been there and supported you through the years and whatever, and, and have, you know, feel like it's feel like it's theirs too. Um, but, but it was totally unexpected for us. And, um, I remember walking away from that conversation hand in hand with my husband and the Lord brought back to my mind, something my grandfather had always said, God is not surprised. Hmm. Yeah. And that, that truth, the, the sovereignty and the goodness of God is what got us through the next few years is just hanging on to that truth that God is not surprised. And so we started saying, all right, so it wasn't a person that got us here. God's in this. What is it that you're trying to teach us? What are we supposed to see? Where, what are we supposed to do with this? Because now that our supporters know that we've been um, basically asked to leave two different ministries in one year's time. <laughs> you know, and, That raises some and, questions, doesn't it? Oh my goodness. And I mean, we were getting all kinds of opposition, you know, like, well, you guys will never be able to work with anyone anyway. Why don't you just go back to the States and get a real job? Maybe you weren't really called to be missionaries. Are, are you in wow. sin? What else do we not know? You know, like just all of this, all this stuff coming from, from people who previously had been supporters yeah, um, and so, encouragers and mentors, you know? Well, I'm really curious what that did for your identity, because that seems like it would really rock it to me it did yeah it did for both of us um and yet holding to that truth that god is not surprised going back to the you know back to the truth of is is god still in control yes he is did he plan this i don't know did he allow it well obviously 
And so if every, if I really believe that God is in control and that everything he does is good, then I got to look for the good. And so we started asking ourselves that question. What is it that you want us to do? We didn't want to go back to the States. Neither of us had a desire. We loved Mexico. This is what we planned to spend the rest of our lives doing. And so what is it that you've got for us here? And uh, we worked with some local pastors um, for a time. Um, we had a, a church plant that we were trying to get started ourselves for about seven years. And again, my husband is not feeling the call to preach. And, but he says, this is an opportunity that God has given us. And if we can do something to grow a congregation and to be a light in this community, that we need to do it. And so um, we did that for a while. And in this time, the Lord gave us this, this idea of starting this company that would serve Spanish-speaking homeschool families around the world. And so we were, we were starting to homeschool our older kids and obviously looking at all the materials and things available. And we started realizing, well, what's available in Spanish? And uh, at, that, at the time that we started, this would have been about 2011, 2012, there was only three companies who offered any kind of homeschool curriculum in Spanish and you had to call a, a U.S. phone number and make an order in English in order to get the materials. <laughs> that's, like, well, it, that's kind of amazing in 2011, right? Right, right. Because we think, I mean, by 2011, all of the all of the English-speaking world knows homeschooling as a thing. It's not new. It's not scary. There's there's all kinds of information and materials available for paid, for free. You know, the the amount of material available in English is staggering even at that point. And yet it's just getting started in the Spanish world. And so that's what we started realizing is that there's a need for materials. Um, Mexico at that point had had a missionary who had um, planted the seed of homeschooling and, and why, why we should um, take seriously our responsibility to educate our children for Christ. And he'd been teaching this for about 20 years at that point, but there was no how-to. It was it was the foundation and the philosophy, but there was no how-to. And I said, "Well, I could do that. I've got I've got a degree in curriculum development and, and administration, um, and and there's no curriculum. There there's only a couple of curriculums. Like we could have a web. We'd had a website for a ministry for three years already, so we know how to do a website. It'd be easy to, to put up a store. And I say easy, kind of tongue in cheek. <laughs> Right. You always think, oh, it must be so simple. Uh, it's it's right. a lot harder than you think, but yeah, okay. And so, so, but we could we could have a blog in Spanish, and we could provide support in Spanish. They could make their order in Spanish, right? And so we're like, this this could be a real a real help here. And then we can teach them to you know not just the academics, but in the discipleship of their children. And so we started creating. Um, a curriculum and and it is it today it's still the only curriculum that's a literature-based curriculum in, that exists in the spanish language and we have preschool and kindergarten and then first grade through sixth grade and so folks can can buy their package of materials that has all the subjects you know math and science and history and language arts and all of that and a teacher's guide um, that walks them through how to homeschool their kids with those materials for a full school year um, and, and we have the blog and we have the podcast and we have now this annual, we were one of the first people to take training for Spanish speaking homeschool parents online. And so now we're able to reach people around the world and, and help them disciple and educate their children. And, um, the, what we, what we got started initially because there was a need for us to make income and we saw a need in the market that we could fill 
has ultimately compounded our ministry capabilities in ways we could have never imagined. I mean, we thought we would be in a little 30-person orphanage for the rest of our lives. And our our online conference last year, we had over 5,000 families from 40-some countries around the world. Um, wow. So that. Wow. That, that's like exponential growth. It took you a while to get there, but that's amazing. Exponentials never overnight. <laughs> You're right. But it does come, and, and we're thrilled to see what's happening. And, and now, especially with the crisis this year, um, more and more people are looking at homeschooling as a viable option. More right. and more countries that never even gave it a thought are trying to figure out what do we do with this. And it's super exciting. Very cool. Wow. How did you get into business coaching? <laughs> so, like I said, we started our business because we needed an income. Yeah. We lost our support. So what can we do that will make an impact and an income? That was a very real need for us. I'm not going to not gonna try to sugarcoat that at all. We, we realized the potential for ministry, but there was a need for income. And when we started earning the income and we started realizing how much pressure it lifted when you can make decisions based on what God wants you to do instead of worrying about which supporter is going to drop you if they don't agree with this decision, um, I was like, wow, this feels really good. Um, and I wanted to, I, I remember looked in the kitchen one, one day looking at my husband and saying, you know, Tap, when we get to the point where this is making a consistent income for us, I so want to be able to teach other women how to do this for their families. And uh, about four years later, we did. We opened up a mentoring group for women who are trying to make a business out of sharing their message online. And that has ultimately grown into the English side of our business. Oh, that's amazing. Wow. Okay. So how did, how does, how did that part of your journey shape your, how you understand God? It's been, it's been an up and down journey. Um, and there were, there were good times and there were bad times as there are in all of our stories. Um, we eventually uh, bought an old colonial home here in Campeche, Mexico, where we live. It's 250 something years old and we're restoring it. But in that restoration process, the Lord taught me so much about him because we didn't like we had we had the money through an inheritance thing to buy the house, but we didn't have the money to fix it up right away. So here we are living as a family of seven in this old old house that needs so much work yeah um still today we're we still haven't renovated our kitchen so i literally have a stove and a table and a a a garage shelving unit in my kitchen um but like we had to install a bathroom in order to move in kind of thing and uh the first rainy season that we lived here because we had never lived in the house through a rainy season before we realized that the master bedroom that we worked so hard to get ready uh, had some roof issues and rainy season here is about six months. Oh, wow. And so here I was trying to homeschool my kids with my, obviously all of this is with my husband's help, but, um, homeschool my kids and work online and try to keep the computer dodging the drips and, you know, literally working around these buckets and bowls on the floor every time the rain starts and just, It was, that was another very dry time for me. And I really questioned what God was doing. Is this really what you have for us? Why, 
why are we working so hard for a harvest and all we're getting is rained on? Um, and the, the drips and the noise and the, the outside noise and the you can'ts and the criticisms were big during this time. And um, just, you know, we've, we've worked so hard to build this and here we are still struggling and now we're dealing with this leaky roof day in and day out. And uh, I remember specifically at one point where the Lord just sort of brought the song to my mind. Again, I, <laughs> the songs you play for your kids, guys pour into them in the atmosphere of your homes. Showers of blessings. There shall be showers of blessings. Wow. And he taught me to see the rain as the blessing. Okay, I do have a shelter over my head. This is an incredible home and there are big plans for him to use this for his glory in the future. And the, re the constant reminder of the rain is that he's here. And so then I started researching rain. Okay, you got my attention. Now I start researching rain and I, I realized that in the scripture, rain is a symbol of God's blessing. There were the early rains and there were the latter rains. And the early rains were hard and heavy rains that washed away the dust and that tenderized the earth and that got it ready for planting. And then there was the latter rains that was before the harvest, which were more softer, gentle rains to, to finish up that growth spurt, right? So I don't know what rain I'm in at the moment, but I realize that this is a symbol of God's blessing. The water and the rain symbolize his blessing. And I had a, I had a coaching client at that point. I was helping her in her business. And uh, it was interesting. One day she said to me, um, just totally, totally off the wall, something we were working on. And she was so thrilled at the progress that she's made. She's like, you're just like my own personal Mary Poppins, <laughs> you know, and Mary Poppins and her umbrella. And I just thought, oh, there's the imagery again, yeah. the rain, you know, and, and it taught me to look, look for the rain, look for where God's showing up, look for where he's blessing, look for the things that you initially think of as a, a um, an inconvenience or a trial and try to see where God's working. And that was that was a that was a lesson that ultimately ended up in in my book, um, in spite of myself, and learning learning to choose praise in spite of me, in spite of my circumstances, in spite of how I feel and the emotions running high. Um, I have a choice every day in every circumstance to choose praise. And when I do, when I make that act, take that action, and choose to praise Him intentionally, because I trust Him to do good even when I can't see it, then ultimately the emotions follow. Wow, I love that. Well, that is amazing. Um, you, your most recent book is Faith Like Flamingos, is that right? Yeah. Is that your most recent? Yeah. And this, uh, I was privileged to get at Spark. I keep talking about this because I'm interviewing people that I uh, got to meet there like yourself, but uh, this is amazing. So this is a, a Christian business guide to walking out your faith in bold color. Tell us, tell us about this book. So I'm not, I've never been a flamingo collector or flamingo lover. I, I really <laughs> didn't give them much thought before, you know, I mean, we see them in zoos. We know people are, make fun of the plastic monarch. I know. Are you, are you starting to collect them? I, I'm people are gifting them to me right and left since this. I mean, random people Facebook messaging me photos. Of that good or bad? I don't know. Um, but uh, so last year, about a year and a half ago now, 
um, we decided to take a, a, a couple days and, and get, get away. And so we were going to go out to the coast. Um, and here in, in Mexico, where we live, on the Yucatan Peninsula, there is a place where the flamingos are known to migrate. And so we decided we'd never seen them before. We've been here for 10 years or more at this point. Um, now was, we should probably go see the flamingos. They're this close, right? So we rented a room for two nights for the family and we drove, piled everybody in our little car and drove out there and uh, rented a boat to go out and see the flamingos. And so we're, we're in the boat and we go, we go out and, and on the open ocean, we start seeing these little pink puffy clouds. And what our guide said was, I was like, are they swimming? He's like, no, 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 they're standing. It's really, really shallow here. Um, they don't usually swim. They're they're more like standers because they're eating from the silt on of the, you know, the the shallow area where the the river meets the ocean. I was like, okay, okay. So we finally turn the corner and start going up into the river, and I never like in the zoo you just can't get the real picture. But out in in the wild, the way we were, it was like water that was blue. And then the line of the green where the trees were, but in between the green and the pink was, or the green and the blue was this huge like cloud mass of pink. Like it just seems unnatural almost. Um, obviously something you're not going to miss, whether you're an alligator or a person. Right? But <laughs> Lunch. It was just such a, a, so cool. And so we started getting closer and closer and closer. And the guide was telling us how, how many, you know, migrate here and all of this and, Eventually, we got really, really close, and the water was really shallow. He had to lift the, the outboard motor up so it didn't hit a rock and, and bend or anything. And we got within several feet of them. But these birds didn't do anything. I'm like, surely we didn't come all the way out here for this. Like, they were just, they didn't care that we were there. They, didn't, they were not curious. They were not interested. They were not scared. They were just there. And they were pink, and they were obviously like almost unnatural for, for the landscape, what you would expect in that landscape. And it would just struck me so much. I kept thinking about it and thinking about it. And anyway, it was really cool to see them up close and see them take off running on top of the water before they take flight and watch them duck their heads under. And, you know, we did end up seeing an alligator that day too. And um, it was just a really cool experience. So anyway, coming back home on that boat, I was thinking about how the flamingo is like so many of the ladies that I serve in, in my business coaching that, um, and I say ladies, it, it, it could be, the book is for men too. It's universal principles, but at that time I was only coaching women. And, um, I started thinking about how so many of them, like they're fabulous and they're beautiful and they're, they're so colorful in, in how God made them. And yet they don't seem to realize, or they belittle the fact that they are that unique and that amazing. And the more I started thinking about it over the next few weeks, the more the Lord just kind of kept bringing to me these, these lessons from the flamingo. Like, you know, the flamingo's out there and he, he's pink or she's pink, you know, and, and they don't care that they're pink and they're an obvious target. They just keep doing what they were created to do and let God take care of everything else. You know, and how many of us are so worried about blending in and not, um, not messing, messing with the, you know, the balance and things and, you know, just be like everybody else. And, and we're scared to be who God created us to be. And yet that flamingo's not scared. He's out there in the open, a pink target in the middle of all that. And he just does what God created him to do. 
And so that and many more lessons that we bring out in that book, just with the biblical, the biblical application as well as the business application to how you can live out your God-given purpose in bold color. You don't have to fear to be who God created you to be. Mm, I love that. I agree. I think there is a, um, a, a, a series of events that happen on the spiritual journey, and it looks different for everybody, but I like to call it finding yourself in Christ. And uh, so I'd put that in that category. Like it's when, when God starts to take away all the things that we think we're about and give us the things that we really are about. And uh, we learn to live into that is so important. It's so powerful. And, um, you know, sometimes the way that evangelicals talk about self is not helpful for that, but that's a hobby horse. I'll preach on some other time. Um, <laughs> but but uh, it's, it is important. It is important how we, how we learn to think of ourselves. I love that. Um, well, Katie, we're, we're pushing up against our time. Is there anything you want to leave us with? Oh, that's, that's a loaded question. Anything? <laughs> um, <laughs> be who God created you to be. Don't let people tell you you can't. Don't let the circumstances de- define you. Um, realize that your, your title, be it business owner or podcaster or missionary or pastor or businessman or... Uh, nurse or practitioner, whatever your title is, is who you serve, not who you are. We get so caught up sometimes in that the whole identity thing of, of you know, we, you might call me an ex-missionary now, and yet that was not about who I am. It was about who I was serving at the time. And so be very careful of where you're looking where you're looking to find your identity and realize that God created you special with a special message that only you can give to those people who he's created to hear that message from you and take action and step up. Don't be afraid to be pink in a blue and green landscape. Be who you were created to be and give that message because if you don't, then those ripples stop with you. Wow, I love that. All right, don't be afraid to be pink, my friends. That is so good. I've got links to your website, which is katiehorner.com um, at halfwaytherepodcast.com. As always, friends, you can just uh, hit that in your app and it'll take you there. Um, and so you can find that. I've also put links to your books. I put a link to Faith Like Flamingos and um, and your website where people can find all the things that you're doing. So, Katie, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Eric. I'm happy to serve.